The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially <laughs> dominant. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. All right, half past seven. It is Wednesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. Jaron Owen in studio and Nathan on the line. Uh, we're talking football because there's lots of stories to get to. We're also going to end up talking boxing because it turns out Bernard Dunn has officially left the Irish Amateur Boxing Association in the aftermath of a uh, pre-Olympics uh, dossier that was anonymously leaked, which was critical of his role. He um, obviously went and was part of the backroom team that did really, really well at the Olympic Games and looks like somebody who is going to be a massive loss to Irish boxing. So it appears as if uh, Irish boxing has once again shot itself in the foot. That's a Vincent Hogan exclusive on the back of the Independent this morning. Talk about that a little bit later on as well. In the meantime, though, uh, Chelsea, the sale is looking a little bit fractured. Uh, one of the Kalku players has said he doesn't want to play for down and that most of his teammates don't want to play for down that the whole situation is a shambles we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well and whatever you're having hashtag is OTBAM you can text us this morning 0879 Nathan good morning to you morning lads when it was uh, 2-0 to Villarreal last night at half time was it like nah this is fine this is no big deal this is totally to be expected we've seen this before from this Liverpool team or are you like oh my god what the hell's happening here a little bit of both because we haven't seen this from this Liverpool team over well, certainly over this season, they've had a level of consistency where uh, the craziness that maybe marked the first few years of the Klopp reign, where it was a bit go, 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 as John Giles always said, and uh, a bit helter-skelter, they've far more control this season. So to put in their worst 45 minutes of the season away from home at Villarreal, uh, you were going in at halftime thinking, another one of these brilliant European nights, but this time it's Liverpool are on the wrong end of it. But I did feel at halftime when Villarreal hadn't got the third goal that at 2-0, Liverpool had the bench. And I think that was the most reassuring aspect for Liverpool supporters was Jordan Henderson, Luis Diaz. Everybody's expecting both of them to come on. In the end, it was just Diaz who came on at halftime. But they've shown consistently over the past few months that when they make changes, they make an impact. And the second Diaz came on, it was a, a totally different game. His willingness to get on the ball, his is want to just run at Villarreal again and again and again. And the threat that he posed just seemed to up everything for Liverpool. But you know, because it was 2-2 on aggregate, if they were 2-0 down and it was 2-0 on aggregate, I think you would have uh, fancied Villarreal with all their European experience and their know-how to hold out. But Liverpool have just so much depth and so much talent and an ability to win any type of game at the moment when you look back at what they've done over the last couple of weeks, depending on the opponent. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people expected Liverpool to, to see that out in the second half. We did say on the show yesterday, Owen, that uh, crazy things happened in the Champions League semi-final and crazy things did happen in that first half. Like, it's it's interesting. Like, it's, what, what was the, the problem for Liverpool in that first half? Like, Andy Robertson was kind of comparing the Madrigal to, to Anfield afterwards last night. And I think that probably does come into it a little bit. Like, you look at the passing accuracy stats, it went from 66% up to 84%. If you compare the first half to the second half, that sloppiness in the first half is just kind of so unbecoming of Liverpool. And probably... The, the environment is 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 one of the explaining reasons for it. But, of course, when you have someone like Lewis Diaz to bring in, it's going to make your team a lot better. Jurgen Klopp went all 
Jay-Z after the game was like we had 11 problems in the first half he didn't want to pin it down on uh, Diogo Jota per se and he also said that he went to one of his coaches and said find me one good clip from that first half so we can show it to the lads at half time to give them some confidence and he said we have no clips and that was uh, one of the interesting <laughs> bits from, from last night like I didn't really realise that uh, Klopp uses video analysis at half time in the, the dressing room or that, that coaches do it full stop so um, that's well, I assume they it's quick fire one or two things here's yeah, an fair. obvious error that we have made go fix it or here's something that we're doing that's working time and time again just do it again there's no point having about three analysts in the stadium and about four more sitting at home doing all this work if you're not going to use it yeah I suppose it's, it's, I guess it's a fair point ah, they're using it in like junior C football matches now yeah but I would have thought it was in come the on you don't think Liverpool would think like a multi-billion dollar enterprise no, at halftime or like here's a little video clip but I, I thought it was just all in the aftermath of the game, really. The Kerry footballers are doing it. Yeah, I just thought it was all in the aftermath of the game. I just, <laughs> like, at halftime, it's like, what are you going to achieve? What, what are you going to achieve at halftime in the game when you've got, like, 15 minutes and people are wrecked? I mean, Mayo 2006 were the last team not to do it. No. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> if only we'd had someone going, big guy up front. Turns out they've started the big guy at full forward. Maybe oh, we should Jesus, the ghosts. The ghosts. The ghosts. Uh I, I think it was look, it was obviously the intensity that Villarreal brought. Like Liverpool should have been expecting it. There's no way Villarreal were just going to roll over at home in a European semi-final. But maybe because they were, I don't want to say so poor last week, but offered so little going forward that Liverpool thought it'd be a similar type of game. Uh, but geez, Villarreal were at them, and it was a game that didn't suit Thiago. The speed, well, running by him. Let's just talk about again. that. Let's just talk about that. Let's just talk about that because Thiago is the best footballer in the world, according to the. Uh, my Liverpool feed, the feed of Liverpool fans um, over the last three months, like uh, untouchable. The, you know, perhaps the best midfielder, I don't know. I can't actually remember anybody as good. Pirlo in the World Cup in 06 is, is the only comparison. You see, now what you're trying to do here is to build to it up so much that when it doesn't happen... The so, no, no, that's, that's what Liverpool fans have been telling me. Like, best footballer in the world, territory, last couple of months. You know, Salah, excellent. But really, the, the change that is going to sweep the quadruple for them has been so you don't think, you don't the ascension think of Thiago to the, the high planes of like a, a, an echelon that he looks down on the rest of humanity. He is um, he is Jesus being tempted by Satan at the top of Mount Tibidabo. Look, look down here. You can have all this, Jesus. All you've got to do is take this forbidden fruit. Tiago took the forbidden fruit and he owns everything. Um, so what happened to him last night? How, how is it that like uh, a team of Premier League misfits could send him so off his game that he's passing the ball to the touchline like... Like it's in the Phoenix Park. Well, how is it that a team of Premier League misfits managed to get themselves all the way to a Champions League semi-final? Well, that's a different question. That's my question. Good management. Yeah, uh, it's an area he struggles with. I thought in the game against Manchester City, where in one way he was the player who dragged Liverpool back into it. You saw both sides of him. First Manchester City opportunity for Raheem Sterling. Kevin De Bruyne just strolls past him. That when he's on the back foot, when players are running at him, like that's not the strong part of his game. That strong part of his game when he gets on the ball so uh, I think he didn't have a split second they just ran and ran at him defensively he wasn't able to keep up with it and he looked a bit rattled like some of those passes he played in the first half were so out of character like basic basic uh, stuff for a player of Thiago's calibre and maybe there's something that other teams will have seen there with Liverpool last night that they can get at like the entire midfield unit Keita had a complete nightmare in the first half I'm always always surprised when I see a Liverpool 11 for a game of this magnitude and Henderson isn't starting he is 
he is the man on nights like that. He is the one who sets the tone, who gets a grip of things, who makes sure that there's no sloppiness. So for Keita, who does seem to be first choice for the European games and like the decisions that Klopp now has for a Champions League final in terms of centre-back, centre-midfield, and which of the three start up front are huge. But that was as poor as Liverpool have played all season in that first 45. And you know, Thiago, Keita, Andy Robertson, you know, who again, the last few weeks, everyone's been raving about his form. Like that first goal you know, needs to be more aware, needs to get out in front. Trent didn't cover himself in glory for the, for the second goal either. So it was a bad, bad 45 minutes. But the, like, the thing that Klopp will look at, I think, is been able to turn around to that bench and know he has a lo- several players now who can come on and who can change the course of a game. Of the players who started for Liverpool last night, do you want to guess who had the best passing accuracy? Van Dijk. Thiago. 84.3% according to who scored. So this is a, this was just like a first half problem that got remedied in the second half. And also when you look at the guy passing out of play, that just is like, oh, he's completely off his game. When actually there are just the more extraordinary moments. And also in the first half, it kind of felt like they could have used Thiago more. They could have gone through Thiago a lot more when they were just playing these balls over the top. And it was like these balls, uh, I'm not sure, was it, were they just constantly overhitting them? Was the Villarreal line too high and they're not used to coming up against a, a high line? I'm not sure what it was. But I thought they could have gone through midfield more in the first half. And the stats at the end showed that Thiago actually really, when it comes to passing accuracy, hey. which is the thing that you're criticising him yeah, for. But well, that's, that yeah, that, that, like, Thiago's always going to be pretty close to the top because he's, you know, he's the vast majority of his yeah. passes are the simple little five-yard passes. It's sideways. The, but no, the, like Alisson and the centre-back should be top of the passing accuracy. Like they're the most sideways passes. Uh, I, I, do you know this from other previous matches? No, but that, I think it's them? the... Listen, I, I don't want to say it's the Joe Allen uh, effect, but, you know, it's the... He's, the, he's the Spanish Joe Allen. Say. Is that what you're saying about Thiago? No, I think... Uh, Is that what I just heard? He's the Spanish Joe Allen. That's not, yeah. that's not your headline. That's the headline. At Nathan Murph. He's the Spanish Joe Allen. <laughs> Joe, Joe, at, you know, Joe, Joe Allen looked like he was looked like he was the Welsh Thiago at one stage of his career, but it never, <laughs> never quite went that way, unfortunately for Joe. Um, okay, uh, I think we're, we we could get sidetracked down uh, a Thiago-sized hole. Uh, he was um, there was somebody. Anyway. <laughs> it's too early in the morning. Listen, you can also, um, you, you need to you need to be uh, obviously looking at teams and picking holes and all that, but. You know, they are back in another Champions League final, a third Champions League final in five years, uh, which I mean, is look, they, it, I, pretty I, insane. I'd love to have seen last night's performance against Bayern to see what would have happened. We were talking about the team are seventh in but the But maybe it never moment. happens against Bayern. Maybe it never happens because there's no complacency. The there's no complacency. The so he, there was a bit there. of complacency at 2-0. And I think that's probably understandable. Like there's big games, big game, big game. It's like, ah, this one's going to be easy enough for us. Um, and I, I, just the way the team was changed and everybody was like, he was able to rest players the weekend. I, it's like, it's a really difficult balancing act and they managed to come through it. I think that's really all that matters. John Wayne on Acid is the uh, YouTube user. I hope you're only microdosing as opposed to uh, dropping full tabs, John. He's wondering, was the slippy pitch the reason for Thiago being terrible? I would have thought the slippy pitch would have elevated Thiago's skill set even higher mm-hmm. and made him stand out. Maybe, well, I, I never Maybe understand. the heaviness, the yeah, heaviness I, meant that, you know, his radar is slightly off, that the ball isn't travelling the way he quite expects. Yeah, I always thought that like bad conditions would elevate the best players' skill sets, but there's the other argument that it's the great equaliser in terms of bringing mediocre players up to um, good players. Virgil van Dijk is the best centre-back of all time, says Michael Owen. I've never seen anyone else like him. This was on BT Sport last night. It wasn't his best performance last night, though, was it? Like, no, it's Virgil a- was not good. 
No, it's an, it's an interesting time to to make that take. Like I presume there's a lot of people who'll who'll go along with that. Full stop. He's he's definitely the best in the world at the moment, and uh, and I think obviously he's come back so well from that injury because there were definitely a lot of questions. I thought at the start of the season about you know his uh, that yard of pace that maybe he had lost when you were judging him by you know best defender in the world standard. And I think he's got himself back to that level. So that's been one of the reasons why Liverpool have gone on this run now, and they're going to play every possible game this season which is the first time an English team have, have done that so um, being fit having a fully fit squad is something that, that Jurgen Klopp has definitely needed uh, for me one of the most interesting things after the game was Mo Salah coming out saying I want to play Real Madrid if you're asking me personally I want to play Real Madrid and like we had this a bit of a debate last week about you know is is like what danger would Real Madrid pose compared to Manchester City? Of course, Manchester City are a better team, but there is just something about this Real Madrid team that would make anybody nervous, I think, especially with the manager that they have and some of the players that they have and the, the maturity of that squad. Um, and I think after what Salah's saying there, I kind of want to see this now. Like, I mean, we've got some fantastic Manchester City-Liverpool games already this season, and yes, they're the two best teams in Europe, and yes, everybody will probably want that final. But I kind of want to see, I kind of want to see Salah against Real Madrid again. Granted, there will be no Sergio Ramos this time, and that's really the revenge mission that he's personally after. That's his personal crusade. But I think uh, this Liverpool team against Ancelotti, I think that'd be a good matchup. It was a brilliant interview with Salah after the game. He's incredibly honest. Uh, he was asked several questions that you presumed any footballer just after a Champions League semi-final would say nothing. Even when he was asked, "Would you prefer Manchester City or Real Madrid?" The obvious uh, stock answer is, "I don't really care at this stage." But he was definite that it was Real Madrid he wanted to play. Like, and you can understand from Mo Salah's point of view, like revenge, revenge has to be a huge factor for him when you think of the impact that the arm injury had on him at that stage when you know at that time we thought it was the peak of his powers it turns out he got even better but he will feel that that cost him a champions league and him maybe being the best player in the world even back then so i'm maybe there's a little bit this i which i thought he was going to say which would be even more honest that you know we've seen what manchester city are like and they're a much better team than real madrid so obviously we don't want to face them but he was asked straight afterwards as to you know, the amount of goals he scored, 30 goals, 15 assists, uh, was sort of rubbing it into Trent Alexander-Arnold, how he wouldn't be happy that he now has more assists this season. Then said, actually, you know, assists don't matter that much. It's all about scoring goals. And he was asked by Jay Comfrey, you know, what, do you set a goal at the start of the season? Again, you expect, oh, yeah, but wouldn't say. Yeah, 40 goals. 40 goals is what I thought at the start of the season. I've got 30, so I've got a little bit to go. Will he get 10 goals in the final month of the season? <laughs> I think if he gets 10 goals in the final month of the season, uh, Liverpool will probably win everything. Uh, Liverpool's average pass accuracy over the course of the 34 matches played in the Premier League is 85%. So uh, that's the, the whole team's average, which means that obviously loads of players have to be over that average. Um, so Thiago, was that 85% last night, was he? Is that what you, was that your figure? Uh, I think so, yeah, or just below it. Well, in the first half, they dropped to what last night? Was it 66%, 67%? 66% up to, and then 84 in the second. So even in the second half, they were below their season average. Uh, they went pitch. Tiago's average over the course of the season is 89%. There you go. So, so four, what did you say, 4% off his average? Not, not, like, not that bad. It's just um, more pronounced, the errors, in a bigger game. You know, he's racking up those stats against the, your Villas, your... Mm. Manchester City's. Your, uh, did he do it against Manchester City in the first game? In the first game, no. But I think in the second game, he was... I remember playing in the first game. In the second game, uh, I, he was a very I, different player. The cup game? Are you talking about the cup game? No, I'm talking about the league game. Right. The 2-2 where it was his ball that really dragged Liverpool back into it uh, when City were rampant in the early stages of that game. 
no, he's, you're Listen, right. It, he's it, the best player I, in the world. I, you're right. You're right. It's true. I'm not. I'm not saying he's the best player in the world, and. I wouldn't have been sure two, three months ago if he'd be in Liverpool starting 11 for a Champions League final, whereas I think now he is absolutely, absolutely nailed on. I would be interested to see what Liverpool fans think Klopp should do for the Champions League final because you know, it has felt all season that Matip has been the number one and has arguably been Liverpool's best centre-back all season. But Kanate has been starting all the European games. So for a Champions League final, do you stick with Kanate? Do you bring Matty back in? No, you bring Matty back Henderson, in. Yeah. Surely after Kade's performance last night, Henderson has to start all right. in o- the Champions League final. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Liverpool fans, pick the team for us. Mark Lawrence is going to join us in about five minutes' time. We'll get him to pick the team for the Champions League final as well, assuming um, everybody is fit. Bournemouth were promoted last night, which means that we're going to have a Premier League goalkeeper next season. Who hasn't been close to the Ireland team really but well he started one massive game and it went badly wrong against yeah, Serbia since, since then seen since yeah hasn't, hasn't been close to it you would say like um, nobody's talking about him versus the other two um, but if he's playing week in week out next year in the Premier League which you know maybe they'll replace him who knows in the summer or hopefully they won't seems like they don't need to and he's um, got a good relationship with the manager he's got to come back into the reckoning right Absolutely. I, I think this conversation around Bazunu Kelleher is far too set in stone. It's totally out of Stephen Kenny's control, even what happens next season. So Gavin Bazunu played a season at Portsmouth, comes back to Manchester City. To Manchester City, have they seen enough to say, actually, we want you to stay here and be second choice, be third choice? You know, maybe we'll get, finally get rid of Scott Carson and you can be the other guy with Zach Stefan and Ederson. And suddenly, Gavin Bazuna spends a year not playing any football. Or maybe he goes and plays championship. He's at a higher level again. Likewise, Quivin Kelleher. And if Mark Travers has a six months of good quality first-team football in the Premier League, and if Bazuna isn't playing, and if Kelleher isn't playing, it's going to be very hard for Stephen Kenny not to reward that. Yeah. And what about Nathan Collins? Is he in our team at the moment? Uh, well, he's, he's probably put himself in a position where he's next in line. Like, the back three at the moment... We see Doherty's injured, so Coleman, you'd expect, will go back to right wing back, which opens up a space alongside Duffy and Egan. And Duffy's not and playing. I'm saying Nathan Collins is Duffy will still play for Ireland during the summer. Now, there's four matches, so he's going okay. to end up play, doing a little bit of rotation. But I think at the moment, Nathan Collins has probably stepped ahead of Dar O'Shea, just with O'Shea's injury. So I think your back three would be Collins, Duffy, Egan with Coleman at right wing back. But I think about three years' time, if if all oh. would go according to plan. Oh, and you have Andrew Romanelli. Nathan Collins Darroche, Nathan Collins is your back Virgil three. van Dijk and Rio Ferdinand playing for the Republic of Ireland according to um, Roll, rolled, all rolled into one yeah, no the two of them one on one yeah it'd be amazing so uh, he's, he's Ireland's Virgil van Dijk says Pat Dolan we take that we, t- we, t- we would take on the range of outcomes of Nathan Collins career at the moment we're like yeah you could be Virgil van Dijk we take that yeah We'll cash in on that one. Him and Rio together. That's a World Cup winning team right there. Has, and maybe has, the Euros. Maybe not the World Cup. We don't need to be too greedy. Has Michael Owen even seen Nathan Collins play yet? Exactly. <laughs> Tweet him there, at Michael Owen. Uh, the other big news over the last 24 hours or so is that Shamrock Rovers may be on the hunt for a new manager. This seems to have come out of left field, Nathan. I was completely unaware that Stephen Bradley was uh, on the market for teams like Lincoln City. So Lincoln City have been linked with him. Um, they have sought permission. What's the latest on this? I think that's where it is that uh, it seems conversations are ongoing between Lincoln and Stephen Bradley and the timing has caught everybody off guard, but it's probably caught everyone off guard because Irish football runs a summer season, whereas actually if you're Lincoln, now is the perfect time. Michael Appleton has gone as manager. They finished 17th in League One 
and they want a manager who can come in and dictate their transfer policy and get in ahead of preseason training, get a full preseason ahead of the start of the season. Uh, it seems their football director spends a lot of time in Ireland looking at players, has obviously seen a lot of Shamrock Rovers and likes what he see with Stephen Bradley. And while initially you would look at this and think Shamrock Rovers uh, you know, going for a third straight league title, heading in towards Champions League football this season, building something really good out in Tala, why would you leave? But it's just a reminder of where Ireland is in the footballing pyramid, that he would be going to Lincoln, uh, I think you could say an unfashionable team, certainly as we would see it, who get a far bigger attendance every game, up at 9,000. Uh, his wage budget would uh, be transformed over 5 million a year. His own personal salary, I'd imagine, would be transformed. And his own reputation, if he was to achieve something at Lincoln, would also be transformed compared to what he could do at Shamrock Rovers unless they went on a run in Europe, which you know, there's really no guarantees. So on the outside, it seems like a complete shock and it could well be an absolute shock to the system to Shamrock Rovers ahead of their biggest week of the season where they have three home games in a row over the next seven days, finishing up with Derry City in Tala on Friday week and they're three points behind Tala. Uh, you know, this could really shake up what happens in the Premier Division this season. But from Stephen Bradley's point of view, and reports are that Steve McPhail and Glenn Cronin could also be in the mix to leave as well, it's a bit of a no-brainer because, unfortunately, if you're there's no football industry for coaches really in this country. So if Stephen Bradley, if this week were to go badly wrong, if Europe doesn't go well during the summer, and if he ends up leaving Shamrock Rovers at the end of the season, where, where do you go, go now? Yeah. Where yeah. do you go? Like The next job is maybe a part-time job, whereas actually go to Lincoln, and Lincoln last season got to the playoff final, get promoted to championship. Suddenly you're in that industry where... Okay, constantly have a job. Who who would replace him at Rovers? Um, the lads were speculating about potentially Robbie Keane. Is that is that realistic? Well, he's very well connected at the club, and he's volunteered at the club at underage system. And when you look around the board and uh, various people behind the scenes, he would you know he would have a lot of links there. So he is a huge name. Remember, they're in a very different position to where they were when Stephen Bradley came in. And at the end of 2015, where, you know, Rovers hadn't won the league for five years. So Dock were the dominant team. They tried to do something different and did it brilliantly by bringing in a young management team. Bradley was early 30s at that stage. McPhail had just been retired. And they went with the academy system, brought in a lot of young players. Now they're the big dogs. Now they are the champions back to back. So do you look for a different type of manager? Do you want that big name who can elevate the club in different ways? And, you know, Robbie Keane is is most certainly that. He's obviously on the lookout for a job. Keane against stuff is something everybody can sign up for. Uh, if you were to look inside the league, there's probably no real options there at the moment, uh, unless they were to go for Keith Long and you know all his experience of Bohemians. They've obviously dipped into bowls quite a few times uh, for players over the last few years. But you know, Rory Higgins isn't going to leave Derry uh, with their billionaire owner back at his hometown club, top of the league. Uh, then they've Vinnie Perth somebody well I was just going to say if you're looking for people just outside like Vinnie uh, I'm sure would feel that he should be in the mix league winner with Dundalk he was from, a local boy from Tala I think it's a big deal played with Rovers uh, you know, he's a regular anytime I'm out in Tala you see Vinnie there uh, sitting in the posh seats in Tala so I'm sure he's got some connections there as well at the other names you know internally and maybe maybe in the short term uh, Stephen Robinson who's running the academy uh, Graham Garland has been doing some work with us you know maybe there potentially in the running. But Stephen Rice is one of the more interesting names who keeps coming up over the last 24 hours. So Stephen Rice is currently Stephen Kenny's chief scout and opposition analyst. He replaced 
Rory Higgins. He is really highly rated. Okay. Has a great history at Rovers, was their captain, scored the goal at White Hart Lane, uh, knows the academy, coached the 17s and 19s. He would probably be, alongside Robbie Keane, the favourite, but that would mean Stephen Kenny potentially losing another member of his backroom staff. And, I don't know if you saw in the last 48 hours, John Eustace, his new assistant coach, has been strongly linked with a move back to England and potentially a full-time job with Queen's Park Rangers or another side in the championship. Phil is in with us. Phil, uh, five for a pint. This is um, uh, an off-the-cuff idea that um, our producer had. Who would you go like to go for a pint with in, in world sport? I think... I think Jurgen Klopp would be well, up there. Thomas Kane says, Jurgen Klopp, lads, come on. I've seen him dancing and drinking pints. Yeah, so that's going to be go crack. Other Premier League managers, I know he's no longer a Premier League manager, but I always think Sean Dyche would actually be go crack. There is the humour that you saw in some of his press conferences where he talked about playing lucky likeies in the pub. I mean, that could kill half an hour if you wanted to play that with Sean Dyche. That would be insufferable, though, wouldn't it? Just stop. Half an hour. We get the, we get the, we get the bit. Yeah. Half an hour, that's all I'm asking. Um, well, you're not really like, right, you say, we're offering you the whole world of sports stars and you're like, I wouldn't mind killing in half an hour. Like, this could be the best night of your life. Yeah, I think, obviously, a boxer. The boxers always have the best stories. Um, so there's a, there's a few in there that you, you could throw in there. Past champions, present champions. Um, golfer, is there a golfer there? No. No. I don't think so. Uh, Shane Larry would be. A, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, we Shane did say Larry, Shane Larry, yeah. But yeah. Um, after that, I mean, somebody said Mickelson. Oh my God, no! Like, I mean, Mickelson. You'd spend the whole. Uh, would be fun, yeah. You'd be drinking a lot of champagne. Yeah. Like you'd laugh. You'd laugh at him. Yeah. For the evening, like you'd let you'd let him regale people with, with stories of uh, of Saudi Arabia being scary mfers. Uh, David Bosang says five for a pint. Nick Popperwell, Lawrence Delalio, Ian Poulter, Brian Robson, and Big Phil Mickelson. Brian Robson also came out for drinks after a roadshow. So yeah, he'd be good. Inside value. scoop on that. Um, he was he had beers and it didn't seem to have any impact whatsoever he was it was like just an even keel uh, Thomas Kane as I said Jurgen Klopp Owen Whelan says Tommy Walls Chaff it's Patrick Roy and Fergie yeah a hurler definitely a hurler as well the hurlers are good crack Henry Shefflin Brian Cody first two I'm thinking the awfully All-Ireland winning generation yeah we've been out for pints with them actually they are yeah. good crack definitely th- throw one of them in there as well yeah. Uh, Owen Burke says it's all well and good saying teams should do what Villarreal did every week but they know they can't keep it up for 90 minutes just like Villarreal couldn't was that the fundamental flaw last night Phil or did they stop believing like I know uh, uh, both I, Nathan and Laura were like ah I wasn't that worried but there must have been a bit of worry well uh, okay my honest feeling at half time was it can't get any worse for Liverpool and I expected Henderson and Diaz to come on at halftime. Diaz came on, changed the game. In fairness to Naby Keita, we saw last season he didn't even make the halftime against Real Madrid. Bit of a surprise to see him come out for the second half, but he was very good in the second half. And Klopp probably said, you know what, you've enough credit in the bank. You scored the winner for us at the weekend. Keita's been playing some good stuff in recent weeks. So I think that'll stand to him, the fact that he actually put in a good second half performance. That's what Klopp wants to see. He wants to see when the chips are down and you've been here before and we took you off before, but this time I'm going to back you and he didn't let him down in the second half. Um, I think Villarreal just they ran out of steam. And I, I was surprised. Emery said after the first leg last week, 
this game is going to be different. He said it in the build-up as well in the pre-match press conference. Now, I did expect Villarreal to have more of a go. Now, I didn't expect them to just throw the kitchen sink at Liverpool in the first half. I thought they'd be more methodical where they would think, let's treat this as two halves. Let's try and win each half by a goal and then we've extra time. But they looked absolutely spent. You think of, if you're going 100 miles an hour, the worst thing you can do is stop because they're sitting in the changing room for 15 minutes. Cramping up. And the legs are starting to lose a bit of life. Then they see Diaz coming on. And all he did when he came on was he just, he got his foot in the ball and it created time for other players because in the first half, they just couldn't get their foot in the ball. When they did, everything was rushed. Every misplaced pass just got the crowd up for it even more. And I can see what Klopp was trying to do in terms of protect Diogo Jota. Jota is a different type of player, obviously, to Diaz. And Liverpool have that with their, their front five. Obviously, Firmino was there, but he wasn't available. But he, like Diaz, is that kind of player that can just put the foot in the ball and slow things down. And then that just gives a bit of calmness to your teammates and it also brings other players into play, whereas everything was so rushed in the, the first half. I thought Jota was a little bit like that away to Newcastle in the first half at the weekend, but he had a really good second half. He could start against Spurs and score two goals because he's one of those, he's, he's a bit like a machine when it comes to, to scoring goals, but they just didn't get opportunities to, to attack in the first half. So, no, I, I think it was a case of Villarreal were gassed for the second half and Liverpool just stepped it up. And They've had a few games this season where I thought if they get in at halftime, everything would be all right. The two City games spring to mind. It was nil all at Anfield at halftime, but City were on top. And I just thought if Liverpool get in, then they can fix the, the, the problems they have. And they actually led twice in the second half of that game. Then obviously you think of the game at the Etihad, 2-1 down at halftime. City are pushing for that third goal. And you think if they get it, then it's game over. Liverpool get in. They come out, score straight away in the second half. So they're very good at readjusting. And that's the problem with, with trying to beat Liverpool. You know, you need them to have an off day for 90 minutes. And it's rare that that happens. I mean, think back to the two league games they've lost this season, the West Ham game and the Leicester game. Leicester, they missed a penalty in that game and they missed chances. West Ham got ahead in that game and they were just dogged. So if Villarreal had scored a third goal last night, then you know the, the worry for Liverpool is Villarreal would have tried everything to slow the game down, whether it was lads going down, feigning injury, you know, taking time over set pieces. So it's... Um, yeah, it's just another um, characteristic of this Liverpool team that they're just they just don't know when they're beat. Another different way for them to win. Yeah, that's they're just that's what they're doing at this time of the season. They're just finding ways to win. Um, you know, they obviously put on a, a show against Manchester United. Then a few days later, they they grind it out against Everton. You know, they they were able to make changes against Newcastle at the weekend, and then you know you'd expect you, like that's a tough game they have coming up now against Spurs at the weekend but you just kind of feel that they're going to find a way to get the three points. Um, tell me how many trophies they will finish the season with. So they've won. I don't know. I, I think Chelsea have a bit of a... Their, their style doesn't really suit Liverpool, so I don't think, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. No, because Chelsea, Chelsea are in free fall is the only thing. They are, but I think they've won kicking them. You know, they you, you kind of saw that the, the away leg against Real Madrid that they could... Pull, pull out a performance and 
you know, Chelsea would be thinking that they should have beaten Liverpool in the League Cup final and on another day, if Mason Mount puts a couple of those chances away, they could have. The Premier League, I still think City are in the driving seat just because they don't look like dropping points. Um, I think if you ask me tomorrow morning, I'd have a more definitive answer on the, the Champions League. I think I... Liverpool would rather play Real Madrid, I think, in the final. Just all Premier League clashes are not usually good finals. Um, you heard what Mo Salah said. I think I think that the reason the Spurs game was so crap was because there was a month between... Yeah, the that's true. Season. I, I think this is going to be totally different. Because the, the games between City and Liverpool... I heard I heard what Laura said. He doesn't think it's going to be good. But I think that uh, the games that between City and Liverpool have been amazing. Yeah. Like, it is... It's at the level the Classico was at when it was Mourinho versus Guardiola where here's a team who everybody everybody except Mourinho managed to win a Champions League with uh, versus the best team we've ever seen and the Stiles made the fights and the Stiles making the fights between these two as well yeah yeah no look, I, I think either way they're going to be it's going to be a good final just given the way Liverpool play um, you know if if it's Liverpool against Real Madrid obviously there's the, the 2018 narrative um, last season to a lesser extent and then if it's Liverpool Man City it's the all Premier League clash it's the obviously the two of them going toe-to-toe in the Premier League where you could have this strange situation where City could have wrapped up the Premier League title going into a game trying to win a trophy they're desperate to win and Liverpool thinking we're going to avenge you taking the Premier League title off us which is the one that we wanted I think look Liverpool have obviously won the Champions League six times but they want to win the Premier League. They want to win that more, I think, than the Champions League. Especially given how the title went a couple of seasons ago. They, they obviously won it, but they weren't there to, to lift the trophy with a crowd. They want that. So, to answer I, your question, I, I, I think... I for a Champions League. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. I think Three trophies, but not the league? Um, I think that'd be an unbelievable season. I think the fact that they're challenging for all of them is just... Um, this is what Liverpool fans are, dream of where when Klopp took over you know this has exceeded expectation it was all about can he deliver a Premier League title he's done that but three Champions League finals in five seasons is phenomenal and you know there's a there's a fair chance they could have a, a second Champions League title by the end of the month Glenn Boylan says it's crazy to think that Alisson had her last season to help us qualify for the Champions mm. League here we are now in another final yeah that did that goal against West Brom because there was a game where they obviously dropped points against Newcastle and Anfield and everyone kind of felt that was it, done and dusted. But yeah, to score a header against Big Sam, who's meant to be the expert on defending set pieces, and Alisson went up and scored it. And it, it was spoken about, a few people I saw mention it last night, where um, without that goal, there would be no Champions League campaign. So it's uh, fine margins. And um, yeah, I think just the next few weeks... Is going to be um, nervous but exciting for Liverpool fans because, you know, you you want to be in it. If you're not in it, you can't win it. Mo Salah's interview on BT last night I thought was was uh, very forthright and something you're not really used to seeing. Specifically, which part of it? Because Nathan was talking about the same thing. Yeah, just the goals, the targets that he sets. He actually said, usually I don't say this, but I'm going to tell you now the 40 goals um, and then obviously he had no qualms in saying yeah I want to play Real Madrid the 40 goals not getting the 40 goals does that make 
Liverpool go, oh, you didn't hit your own target, so we're not going to pay you the 400 grand. <laughs> uh, you mean, you, you told us, we didn't know what your targets were, but uh, you're actually, you're not hitting your KPIs, so we're going to cut your salary. Yeah, I, I think uh, the fact that he's aiming for 40 goals just shows the level he's at. And, um, you know, he, it was interesting, actually, Arsene Wenger was on B in Sports last night just talking about Mane and Salah. And just, like, the workload that they've had to get through the last few months. Obviously, both got to the final of AFCON, uh, a final that went to penalties, you know, and Egypt had been in extra time a few times. Then they obviously met in that um, World Cup playoff as well. So think of, say, Salah. It's probably more evident in Salah where like, the emotional and physical drain that must have where he obviously loves playing for his country. Like Egypt are dour to watch, but you know, that, that's not Salah's fault. Like he, he's obviously trying to get them to World Cups and win AFCONs, but I wonder what kind of toll that's taken on him mentally where you know, he's not going to be going to the World Cup. He missed out on winning the AFCON. But I mean, the fact he's not going to the World Cup means he's a great signing for anybody in the summer as well. So his market value is never going to be higher than it is this summer if Liverpool decide that they're not going to pay him the 400 grand a week he wants. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Salah left in the summer. I think a bit like what the reports coming out of Germany are like with Lewandowski. There might be no new deal, but they're just leaving it free the following summer. That, that could happen. And people say that's madness to, to let that happen with Salah. But if Liverpool think Salah is... Maybe they, they, they see how next season goes and they keep offering him a new deal. And if he has an unbelievable season next season as well, they could say, yeah, we'll, um, we'll up the money. But I think one thing we've learned in the last few years that if Salah was to go, Liverpool, are, they'll be able to cope without him. They'll just... The recruitment is that good... I mean, Diaz wasn't even meant to be signed in January. This was something that kind of came through yeah. last minute. And just what a sign he's been. Like, I guess the other thing is, if he was to leave this summer, there would be a phenomenal amount of money coming in that they could then reinvest if they wanted to. Or they don't have to reinvest immediately. They can wait a while and reinvest next Christmas and, um, and see what they need. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's the one player that if he was to go, they'd have to replace him straight away because he's left-footed, because of that inverted winger that creates that space for Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, but I would be, I would imagine Liverpool have a host of players okay. lined up as replacements if it came to that. I don't think it will, though. Have you changed your mind about relegation? Are Leeds going down now? I'm very worried about Leeds now. Yeah, I think there's going to be twists and turns. Burnley, everyone just thinks because they're after taking 10 points from the last 12 game or 12... That, the that's mighty them. Villa stand between Burnley and... Two games, yeah. Like it's going to be uh, very interesting. Even if they win one of those, then you know they're, they're in with a chance. But look, we saw Leeds were on an unbeaten run of five and then you know they've they obviously got a, a hiding last weekend. But um, And Stuart Dallas is a big loss for them as well. Arsenal and Chelsea the next two games it's really what happens with the other teams around them so if Leeds are in the bottom three going into those final two games against Brighton and Brentford then yeah you would fear for them but Everton have just kind of adapted a, a Jose Mourinho style where they're just making themselves really hard to beat but it's bloody effective and Jordan Pickford was the hero for them on Sunday so I, as I said to you, I always felt if Everton are going to get out of it, it's their home form, and that's the way it's playing out at the moment. I do think that if Lampard manages to save them from here, being adaptable is actually a good thing for his managerial career. I also think that like we 
probably underrate a little bit the job that he did when the transfer embargo was there and he had no choice not to uh, he had no choice to sign players that the group that he worked with and the young players that he brought through he did very well with them like there's there's definitely a, he's a bit smug he's slightly overrated by the English media as a player he's very overrated by the English media as a manager but he's not as bad on the other side of that we, we might have gone a bit too far with the criticism well we have a nice little collection possibly of former England midfielders in the Premier League next season with Scott Parker bringing Bournemouth up so you could have Parker, Gerrard and Lampard all managing in the Premier League next season but you fit them into one team? No I don't know Like who, who plays out on the left? Always the problem It's always been an issue but yeah I, I don't know where I, I stand on if he keeps them up because some people would argue he shouldn't have them down this far that when he took over they yeah they, they weren't Bit of a shambles Everybody injured. Yeah, like the encouraging thing is the the way they've dug in the last few weeks. As I said one thing that has been quite evident in the last few weeks, especially those games at Goodison Park, is the Everton fans realise how serious the situation is, and they've got behind the team. Stay up, and then you can air your grievances after. You can say, "Look, this has been an absolute shambles. How did how did we get to this?" Where a few seasons ago they were talking about a new stadium and trying to play European football and yeah, trying well, to break so you can do that after the season is over it's now just a case of survive and deal with it after yeah paying the wrong character is too much money it's the yeah. same story at Arsenal it's the same story at Manchester United it's the same story at Everton it, it's the same story in every football club that has gone off the rails bad recruitment and paying too much for players who don't deserve the money Phil good stuff thanks very much for that now, one last thing sorry Katie Taylor where's she going to fight next um, I would still be leaning towards a rematch in New York. And you think that's the best thing for a career? Um, I think I think it would be a great way to go out for Katie Taylor to fight at Crow Park. But I would prefer if it was against Serrano. I would prefer if it was the... So fight the, Serrano and Croker if you're managing... If you're Brian Peters today, you get to play uh, boxing manager. Yeah. Um, what, want, what do you want? You want? I want Serrano because you want Serrano where? I right. want Serrano in Crow Park. I, I'm not mad about October because I just know that it's, prob- it's not going to be a great night. Even if it's fine. if it's dry, it should be. It could be okay. Um, yeah. But look, I, I know it the never box, rains in Ireland. The box it actually is, never rains yeah. in Dublin. Like it's very very dry here. Yeah, I mean, apart that's from the bank holiday recently, weekend, just gone. I mean, look, that's your recency bias is is uh, is giving you incorrect information I mean this is going to be the most boring topic of conversation ever on the show which is saying something but I have noticed it raining more often recently in Dublin than the last in, couple of weeks but no and, and then say compared to like 7-8 years ago I do think that the last year has been particularly rainy and would you monitor this or have you got stats to back it's up? almost as if like the entire <laughs> where's your evidence for that global climate where's your evidence is, uh, for that? shifting oh, and more extreme opinion. weather is where's your evidence for that this is like the I'll, past I'll, I'll completion chart. Here yeah. Out, yeah. I, mean, well, <laughs> I mean, there are. It's not like they don't keep stats for this, Owen. Yeah, but I just said in my, in, I feel it in my waters. Is yeah, that what you're telling me? Literally, meteorologist. My, my waters never lie. <laughs> yeah. Meteorologist Sheehan has finally unveiled his full. Ah, oh, look at me all the time. I was secret, secretly. This, 2022 has been a rainy year. I can, I can just feel it. All right. Okay. Statistically, this is interesting. Mm. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs. That's why they pay us the big money for the meteorological. You come for the sports information and actually you end up getting half-baked opinions about the weather. (laughs)
uh, sorry, we are brought to you each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, you can follow off the ball on all our social platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the OTP Sports app to enjoy the latest and best in sports content and analysis.